many guys got to come out for the arts market? Wasn't that good? And so, uh, yeah, thanks for that. And the talent show was a lot of fun. I mean, just, uh, I did not do a comedy routine this year. I just, um, yeah. I, I, think, I think everyone's still recovering from the one I did before. It was a five-minute routine on diarrhea. I think we're all still recovering from that one. And so... Uh, Next year. Oh, no. Mary's got the mic from the, from the seat. Oh, boy. Well, it could be a little more interactive today. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no gongs. No gongs. If you remember the gong from last week, I taught at this school in ministry that night. <laughs> when I finished, David Gooding, our sound guy, had this, like, Chinese epic gong go through all the speakers. Gong! <laughs> it was awesome. So... All right, help us, Jesus. We need you still. I want to talk to you about moving from encounter to transformation. How's that sound? So uh, last week we looked at how the Bible is actually a book of encounters, and the, uh, the goal of the Bible is to meet the author. The goal of the Bible is not to equip you to debate your friends on Facebook. The goal of the Bible is actually to meet the author, to become, to become the kind of person that the book is talking about. Actually, it's, it's interesting. A lot of people read the Bible as a book of rules. A book of rules tells you what, you what you need to be doing, but it's actually more like a mirror. It tells you who you already are. And I'm not sure if you guys realize this, you've actually never seen your face. Maybe you've seen a reflection, maybe you've seen a picture, maybe you've seen a video, but you can't actually see your face. And you actually look into that mirror and you trust the reflection and you act upon it, really, right? What does James chapter 1 say? It says the Bible is a mirror. You guys, you don't know what's happened inside your spirit when you got born again. You can't feel it. You can't go access it through your emotions. Well, I don't feel saved. Um, that's, a, that's a trap <laughs> if you're going to try to access what happened in salvation through your emotions. What you need to do is you need to look into the mirror. And you need to look intently. It says there's, there's a man who looked in the mirror intently. Boy, somebody's getting blessed in the front row. It said there's, it's like a man who looks in a mirror intently and then acts on what he does. Doesn't just forget about it. A lot of people, they get, a sal- they get an experience, they get a goosebump, they get a fire tunnel, and it's like, and then they forget about it. No, no, it's, it's not, guys, it's not about living from emotion to emotion, from fire tunnel to fire tunnel, from prophetic word to prophetic word. God actually wants us to get that the seed, the word of God is that seed that's implanted in us. He wants you to actually grow fruit, and that's where the transformation comes. So I want to talk to you about what that looks like today. Turn with me to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, this, Jesus just had some profound things to say about human nature that uh, the social sciences are still catching up to, but uh, it's interesting they actually confirm it. Luke chapter 6, I'm going to begin in verse 43. These are the words of Jesus. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. Good people bring good things out of the good stored up in their hearts, and evil people bring evil things out of the evil stored up in their hearts. For out of the overflow of one's heart, the mouth speaks. So I'm looking at just kind of, um, there's, a, there's a writer that I like named John Orberg, and he, uh, he kind of labeled these as two laws of the kingdom in this passage. So I'm going to kind of pick up on some of those. And the first one, uh, this, is, this is not real deep, but it's real powerful. Okay, this is not difficult to comprehend. The first one is the law of the tree. Okay, and so I don't have a whiteboard up here, but can you guys, can you guys kind of see the tree? Just picture me as the tree. Can you guys, can you guys see the tree? Yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm kind of shaped like a tree. I remember um, they wanted me to play football, but they just wanted me to stand on the end of the field and just do this. I'm like, seriously, like, so I played right bench. Anyway, here's the law of the tree. The law of the tree says this. What's going on the inside of the tree 
determine what gets produced outside the tree. I think we actually have the, there, there it is. If it's written on the screen, you know it's a law, okay? The law tree, what's going on the inside determines what gets produced on the outside. So Jesus says, if you've got fig tree kind of things going on here, figs. If you've got fig tree things going on in here, you don't get thorn bushes, right? And so here's the deal. On the inside of you, there's a constant stream of thoughts and feelings and perceptions. They're just constantly going on in the inside of your tree. Okay, now you're the tree. See how you like it, Okay. Now you're the tree, and on the inside of your tree, there's this uh, constant stream of thoughts and feelings and perceptions, and what happens is those thoughts and feelings and perceptions are in inevitably going to be producing fruit in your life. I want you to think about this. Your actions are simply the belated announcement of what you've been thinking about for a long time. I don't know what came over me. I'll tell you what came over you. You did. I just fell into sin. No, you leaped. You wanted to do good, but you prepared to do bad. How were you prepared to do bad? Because the things going on in the inside of here produce the kind of fruit of your life. How are we doing? Loving people, they're simply the kind of people who tend to have loving thoughts and loving feelings and loving perceptions. Angry people are the kind of people who have bitter thoughts, resentment-producing thoughts, constantly talking about offenses and rehearsing offenses. And can you believe what Trump's doing? Can you believe what the Democrats are doing? Can you believe that they're just walking? What are they doing? They're meditating. They're creating a certain condition on the tree that produces the fruit. Now, the Pharisees were a group of people. I think they get a bad rap. I mean, they, they, they do deserve a bad rap, but they honestly wanted to obey God's law. I mean, that was their thing. They, they loved the law. They treasured the law. Um, I'm not sure they fell in love with the author of the law. But anyways, they, they, were really, they were into the Bible. They really were into the Bible of that time. It was called the Torah, the first five books of the law, the books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. <laughs> Just see it. I'm not sure if you guys know who was the um, champion at Heritage Christian Fellowship back in the early 80s of saying the books of the Bible the fastest. Who was that? Oh, was that me? That's so embarrassing. I didn't even mean to bring that up. I actually saw, so I could say all 66 books in less than 12 seconds. And so, oh, no, that's not why I brought this up. But I looked on Facebook and there's a pastor from another church in another city in Ohio, and he said them as fast as he could. And he's like, I just wanted to see if I still got it. Took him 15, so. Hey, babe, is that going to be your uh, talent act? <laughs> it's going to be a 12-second talent show, yeah. All right. The Pharisees. It's, it's not about me. Just a sex, Leviticus. All right, here we go. Okay, so the Pharisees, they, they had a different approach. Jesus' approach was change what's going on in the inside, and it will change the outside. The Pharisees had a different approach. Let's put a whole bunch of rules around the outside so that you can't do anything bad. Okay, and they called it putting a fence around the law. So you remember when uh, the book of Genesis, Adam and Eve, God gives Adam and Eve one simple command. He says, uh, do not eat of the tree that's in the, uh, the fruit in the, that's in the midst of the garden. So don't eat this tree. But when Eve retells the story, she says this, God told us not to touch the tree. And so the Pharisees were like, oh, man, I wonder if they got a secret supplemental law that taught them how to put a fence around the law. And so they began to put a fence around the Why? Because you can't eat the tree, eat the fruit, if you can't touch the fruit, right? I mean, that makes sense. And so the rabbis, they came up with all these amazing laws. And so uh, my favorite one, uh, the do not commit adultery, 
One rabbi made a rule that you, um, in order to avoid that one, you should not talk to a woman. I guess the, you know, the odds of having adultery go way down if you are not able to talk to a woman, unless you're like a mime or something like that. And then, then maybe somehow it could work there. But um, you see what I'm saying? They, it, this became known as the traditions of the elders. Now, the heart was, I want to obey the law. And so instead of just looking at the law and becoming the kind of person who can obey the law, they begin to put all these things around the law. So they, it was called the tradition of the elders. And so they began, they had, it, be, it got written down in a book called the Mishnah. And it was a collection of the writings of the rabbis. It had 523 sections, five to ten paragraphs each. And these were all man-made laws to have helped them avoid breaking any laws. Are you guys seeing this? So I love it. you guys want to hear a couple of them? This is interesting the way they thought. And they would argue about things like this. If an unclean bird sits on the eggs of a clean bird, do those eggs become unclean? Hmm. You're like, I was just talking about this. If a dog eats from a corpse, and so the dog becomes unclean, and then it lies at the threshold of a house, does it make the entire house unclean? And a silence fell over the crowd. This, this one's interesting. I, I'm not sure what was going on in the ancient Near East for this one, but um, if a man makes a dough offering out of barley when he's naked... Does the offering become unclean? Like, I'm not making these things up. Like, I'm not sure what was happening in the first century when they're cooking. <laughs> Obviously, no hairnets going on. But they, what are they doing? They're arguing about this kind of stuff. They're trying to figure it out. Where do we put a fence around the law so we can make sure people obey the law? Jesus had a completely different approach. He says, um, uh, if you aim at behavior, you'll miss it every time. So many people preach a gospel of sin management. As if the Christian life is about repressing. You want to do bad, but you're going to repress those bad things, and this is your offering to God. Well, I mean, you know, it's, I, I'm not encouraging you to do bad things. I'm just saying that that's not going to make the tree right. It's not going to change your character. There's a huge difference between kingdom living and behavior modification. It was true that a lot of people make this mistake. It was true in the Pharisees' day, and it's true in our day, that people aim at changing or managing their behaviors. Oh, you're going to be angry? Why don't you just count to 10? 10 didn't work. Count to 100. Okay, what are you doing? You're mad. Like, like, that's better than blowing up, okay? But I'm just saying, you're not living the kingdom dream life that Jesus paid for by still being angry, resentful, vengeful person, but you're able to stuff it down and walk around the block. That's not kingdom living. When you want to cuss somebody out, but you, you substitute in Christian cuss words instead. That's, that's, not, that's not what Jesus paid for, gang. All right? You're like, what are those Christian cuss words? That's none of your business. I don't even know. I'm so pure. I don't even know. I heard some people talking about it in the bathroom. They think, if I can just, by the power of my will, override these habitual patterns of thinking and feeling, then... No, Christianity is not about squelching these feelings of lust, resentment, fear, and envy. It's about coming the kind of, becoming the kind of person who doesn't even have those anymore. I want you to catch a vision. Jesus is actually giving us a picture. I mean, when he's giving us, like, the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard it said, but I say to you, he's giving you a picture of the kind of person you can be. 
You've heard it said in the law, you know, don't even, uh, you know, don't commit adultery. But I say, a man who looks at a woman with lustful intent, he's showing you, you can actually become the kind of person who doesn't look at a woman with lustful intent, who doesn't get angry to the point of raka, where you're looking at a person and saying, you worthless idiot. That's basically a good translation. Perhaps a Christian cuss word if you're looking for that. So, are you guys seeing what I'm saying? Jesus is giving us a picture. All the commands of the New Testament are not things you're supposed to do that the kind of person you're supposed to become. So you read a command, you're not like, oh, man, I'm really falling short of this one. I think I can. God, I'm going to try. I'm going to rededicate my efforts. He's like, no, no, no. I'm showing you what you can now do through the power of my spirit, not through the power of your willpower. I'm going to show you how we, how we, you know, when God highlights a promise or a passage like that, how we get that, how we get at that. If you make the tree right, the fruit will be right. I love this phrase. It's the fruit of the Spirit, not the reward for working hard from the Spirit. I don't know about you, but I've never been in the backyard just like walking around, and all of a sudden I hear the trees groaning. They're not straining to produce fruit. I don't know, maybe you maybe you got some different trees. What happens? There's things going on in here, on the inside of the tree. It's... Kind of, I, I, I was saying this over the weekend, or I was saying it somewhere, I don't know. When you abide, fruit is inevitable. When you don't abide, fruit is impossible. When you're thinking God's thoughts, fruit is inevitable. When you're not thinking God's kind of thoughts, fruit is impossible. Well, good fruit is impossible. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. It's His character being produced in you effortlessly as you encounter him, as you allow his thoughts to influence your thoughts and become your thoughts. We'll talk about this process here in a second. But I want you to see the law of the tree, what's going on the inside determines what gets produced outside. That's the target. Not just changed behaviors, a changed person who has changed behaviors. I love how the New Living Translation puts Romans 12 too. This one's not on the slide. Um, change your life by changing the way you think. I'll tell you what, guys. You know... Um, If any counselors out there or someone who thinks that they need counseling, what are you renewing your mind in and who are you abiding with? The fruit of your life is just the evidence of whatever you're being spiritually intimate with. And so I'm just telling you, like, like here's just, I'll just save you a whole bunch of counseling time. I'm not, I'm not against counselors. I understand people get stuck, but I have a master's in counseling. I used to do a lot of counseling. I have yet to meet somebody who needed counseling who was abiding in the vine and renewing their mind. There's just no one who's just walking with Jesus and their life is just a, just a destroyed mess. He's given them no strength. He's withholding grace. All right. All right, second law. <laughs> second law. Uh, might be called the law of exposure. The law of exposure is simply this. Your mind will think most about what it is most exposed to. Jesus says, listen, you're storing up things in your hearts and in our inner lives. We're storing them all the time, uh, whether the noble or demeaning. And so here's how this works. Whatever repeatedly occupies your mind eventually shapes your mind. And ultimately, it will express itself in who you become. So I remember, uh, I don't know if you guys realize, I was actually a young adults pastor for a number of years. And so, um, Sandy, are you in here? Sandy, yeah, Sandy was one of the leaders in our young adults group in North Carolina. 
wow, lots of memories there. So one time I was, uh, I was teaching on something similar to this. And I got this idea. I'm like, I'm going to do this awesome illustration. I'm going to put a bunch of gross stuff in a blender. And then I'm going to challenge uh, two people to come up and have a race drinking it in front of everybody. And I mean, it sounds like a great idea, right? And so, uh, <laughs> and so uh, I, believe it was, I believe it was Jeremy and um, was, oh, it was Mark. Oh, he's, yeah. Jeremy and Mark. And so um, I think I had things like uh, spam. Uh, might a little bit of dog food. Um, uh, so, you know, like a little bit of garlic goes a long way. Several cloves of garlic, onions, this salsa that smelt like feet. I mean, it was just like feet salsa. I mean, I don't know. There was just, just a whole bit, like everything, I was, sardines, like anything I was going through the stir, I'm like, this, this sounds pungent, you know, um, I put in there. And so, um, you know, so I'm making up the recipe in front of everyone, da-da-da-da-da, I'm blending it up. <laughs> it smells. It smells. And um, as, the, as the smell begins to waft, like they had, nobody's drank anything yet, okay? And so as the smell begins to waft into the audience, girls begin dry heaving. I thought, oh, this, this is a bad sign. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure this is going where I want it to go. So Jeremy and Mark volunteer, and I'm promising them some big prize. They thought it was going to be an Xbox. I think it was like a funny doll that made... A bad noise. Anyway, and so it's like a junior high noise. Anyway, and so, um, so they're expecting, like, this is going to be worth it for this Xbox. And so they get up there, and they're dry heaving now. And so three, two, one, go. Everyone's cheering them on with their noses plugged, and they're chugging this stuff. And it's not settling right. And they both race to the garbage can and uh, relieve themselves of the contents. And then that smell gets in... <laughs> Listen, guys, no one puts nasty stuff on the inside of a blender and wonders why the results are going to be nasty. No one goes on the NASCAR circuit and fills a high-performance race car with low-octane, watered-down gasoline. No one joins the Olympic team and goes on an all-Twinkie and Oreo diet. Except maybe the sumo guys. I mean, I'm not sure what they're doing. Their thing is. No one has a baby that they really love and just lets it eat whatever they want. And I'm not sure if you guys realize this, but first-time parents are different than multiple-child parents. When you have that first child, there's just something special, something magical. I remember uh, when people, I mean, I was a little bit of a nutcase when Joshua was born. When people wanted to, when they come in to visit in the room, I made them wash their hands. They're like, we're not going to hold them. I'm like, wash your hands. Like, just to look at him, they needed to sterilize I remember we drove him home. We had him bunged up in these blankets, and I literally was going 25 on the freeway with the emergency flashes on, like we were carrying nitroglycerin. I mean, just so careful. And so um, the boys all had pacifiers, of course, and so the... Uh, sorry, kids, bring this up. And so, um, you know, when the pacifier would fall on the ground for Joshua, Mary would pick it up, you know, place it in boiling water to sterilize it. She would take it out, allow it to air dry and cool, and then put it back in Joshua's mouth. Now, when Wesley came along, you know, not, not quite as careful, but we still kind of had the guards up a little bit. You know, the pacifier would fall on the ground, and she'd rinse it off, you know, wipe it off in her shirt, stick it back in his mouth. Evan. <laughs> Pastor got her fall on the ground. She'd spit on it and stick it back in his mouth, right? I mean, But we all understand this. If something matters to you, what you put into it determines its health and ultimately its well-being. 
Well, like we get this at, an, uh, at a human level, at just a natural level, okay? Uh, you and I, but here we're storing up things all day long, and the results are completely predictable. Whatever it is that you're putting on the inside, you're storing up on the inside, we get what's going to happen. So here, here's the question. I hope you understand the two laws there. But, um, so how do we develop a kingdom mind? How do we make what's going on inside right so what's outside will be good? I love uh, 1 Corinthians 10.5. We take every thought captive. Notice it said every thought, not every behavior. So many people, they're, they're so focused on the external, so focused on the behaviors. And um, if you're training to be a Pharisee, great. But if you want life in the kingdom, we're going to focus at the level of the thoughts. We take every thought captive. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Here's what I'm talking about is you're becoming aware of the thoughts that are running through your mind. Those thoughts always have feelings attached to them. Here's the thing. You cannot feel your way into acting differently. You're, you're trying to psych yourself up. You're trying to listen to some different kind of music. You, you know, I, Some people turn to alcohol to alter their moods. I got quite on that one. <laughs> Here's what the Bible says. Is, is, uh, by guiding the flow of your thoughts, your emotions will change. By guiding the flow of your thoughts, just simply recognizing, like, just you can hit the pause button. You can choose your thoughts and say, you know what? This is, mm -mm. I'm going down a dark path here. Holy Spirit, I'm going to tell you how to renew your mind more intentionally here in just a second. But um, guiding the flow of your thoughts. So let's just look at the first three fruit of this spirit. And so in Galatians chapter 5, he gives us a picture of the kind of fruit in the life of a person who's walking with the Holy Spirit. Um, love, joy, and peace, Right? So you have thoughts that are either leading you towards love and joy and peace. I'm talking about, remember, we're just kind of just taking a look. Where are my thoughts taking me right now? Even if you get negative feelings, you can trace it back to a thought and go, you know, hey, I'm going to change my thinking here. So love and joy and peace, or it could be taking you towards the opposite, resentment, unsatisfied desire, and anxiety. Listen, if you're wrestling with anxiety, guess what? You're thinking a whole bunch of anxious, oh no, it's brain chemicals, it's this and that. It may be. Your brain is so powerful that if you think things, it can affect your brain geometry. But I'm telling you what, the root of it is you thinking, you got stinking thinking. I got an anger problem, it's a generational spirit. Oh, you're thinking resenting, resentful thoughts. All right. Don't shoot the messenger here, gang. As a general rule, you can, pretty be, you can be pretty sure that thoughts that are leading you towards love and joy and peace are being guided by the Holy Spirit. And thoughts leading you towards resentment, anxiety, and unsatisfied desires are not being guided by the Spirit. Like, profound stuff here, I know. So what does a kingdom mind look like? What, what, what does it look like? It might look like this. Do I face an emergency? My first response is to expect God to be with me. I don't have to be any bigger or smarter than I am. I'm at peace. Does somebody condemn me or oppose me? My first thought is that I remember that God supports me because he loves me. And I don't have to appease them. I don't have to blast them. I can want what's good for them. I take my boys to duck donuts, and I can just be amazed at the goodness of God. Just gratitude just begins to fill my life. I did give up sugar in August, so that's actually an old illustration. I did have a donut in October, but come on, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. But it's not about me. It's not about me. So how do we do that? Let's look at Philippians 4.8. This is just a great passage here. 
Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if there's anything excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. If you're sitting here and you're like, Jim, I want this life in the kingdom. I want, I want the, the life that the scripture is talking about. Then you know what you do? You need to go into the mental storage business. I need to expose my mind to the kind of resources that will produce those kind of thoughts. I need to minimize my exposure to the uh, kind of resources that will lead towards the opposite kind of thoughts. Here's what I want to do. I want to challenge us around having our minds immersed in Scripture. Scripture is not the only way to renew your mind, but it is one that, uh, is, that Jesus used, and so that's uh, probably a good start there. So here, here's a couple examples. You may not like these words, okay? And so let's just, on the count of three, let's just let out a collective groan just to get it out of your system, because the first one's study. <clears throat> okay, ready? One, two, three. Okay, I don't want to hear any more after that. You got it out of your system, all right? Get rid of all those, when I say study, get rid of all those pictures of exams and all-nighters and caffeine binges and all those type of things. I want to talk about, I want to spend time with God so much that I'm willing to set aside unhurried, unfrenzied time just to be with him in the word. But see, it's easier just to say study, okay? It's easier. And so it's about filling your mind with God's thoughts as I meet him in scripture. Remember, you never, here's, here's a mistake a lot of people make is they read the Bible alone. Never read the Bible alone. Always read it with the author. Always read it with the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you, when is the last time you wanted to be with God so much that you made time and space to read in an unhurried, unrushed, unfrenzied way that you could come to love and know and admire Jesus more deeply? Nobody needs to feel bad here, but we're talking about moving forward in some things. You know, in any relationship, uh, you just need some encounters that just aren't rushed. Now, I'm all for pray as you go and go as you pray and meditate while you're in the th- you know, throughout the day. I'm, I'm all for that. But every relationship needs those unhurried, unfrenzied times where the relationship can go deep. Um, if you only dated uh, your, your, your spouse, your, put it this way, if the only dates you ever went on were group dates and the uh, girlfriend or boyfriend's parents were there the entire time, how many recognize the depth of relationship isn't going to be there than if you actually had some time together to just talk. Can we just, can we just go there without going into the whole dating thing? All right, I know that, but if you think Halloween's polarizing, you should talk about dating among Christians, my goodness, sir. Which my wife and I will be doing, is it the second or third Wednesday in January? Parents, you're welcome. Kids, you're welcome. It's going to be a lot of fun. Because how many of you guys know, God doesn't uh, withhold good things from us. So anything God's word has to say about dating is for your good, for your enjoyment, not to be a cosmic killjoy. Listen, it's no different when it comes to encountering God in Scripture. Um, that we need, sometimes we need those unhurried times where it's not people all around talking all the time and all those type of things, okay? So here's something you might want to try. This is not a law. This is just a suggestion. Maybe read the same book of the Bible once a day for 10 days. Pick a shorter book. You might want to start with Philippians. I'm, th- I'm really uh, thinking about uh, preaching through Philippians, or at least good portions of it, uh, starting in January. And so... Uh, Philippians. I, guys, I just feel like God wants us to get this thing about him and his word. You know, I, I, I don't ever want to diminish us going after encounters, experiences, signs, and wonders, but um, I think the only way we're going to get there is to be anchored in his word. Otherwise, you'll be like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. 
I'm so tired of charismania Christianity where people are high and then they're low and I'm going to change the world and I don't even know if there's a God and da 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 and it's like you're wearing me out man you need an anchor in the word of God it's interesting Paul in uh, in 1 Peter Peter says he talks about uh, dreams and prophecies and all these things and he says but we've got the word of God made more certain and he begins to talk about scripture guys prophecies are great but how many know they can be wrong sometimes like, you can't base your life on a prophetic word. Now, it can confirm things, and God can speak through it, absolutely. When God adds his word to it, absolutely. But you have something more sure than any prophetic word. It's the word. And guess what? Those prophetic words get judged by the word. I remember some guy uh, came up to me one time, and he's like, God wants me happy, and so I'm going to leave my wife. And I'm like, um, not in the Bible, dude. Well, this is just what I'm feeling. Your feelings are lying, dude. All right, we good? So I'm asking you, Zion Christian Fellowship, will you set aside unhurried, unfrenzied, unrushed time? I like to use that translation I talked about last week. It's a, it's a um, publication of the Bible that has no chapters and verses. I put all these on the Zion Facebook page, all the resources I talked about last week. It has no chapters and verses, and so... It's just like reading a good book. You curl up with it, and you just find yourself getting lost in Scripture. Now, guys, the goal isn't to just read large chunks. Like, you don't get points. God's like, oh, they read four chapters instead of three. I'm so proud. Like, like you see what I'm saying? Like, the point isn't to read the Bible. I just used this illustration in, um, I, I think, CSSM. So, so my sister, she, uh, she passed away a bunch of years ago. And but when she was younger, her whole life, she was absolutely gorgeous. And all my friends wanted to date my sister because she was beautiful. And so uh, I don't want to say his name, but um, Josh Paletta really wanted to date her super bad. <laughs> he, he used to come here once a month from Michigan. So when you see him, anyway. So we were out at this, uh, their family had like a lake house and they had a sailboat. And so he's going to take my sister out and he's going to impress her. He's going to take her out on the, on the boat, on the sailboat. And so, uh, you know, Kim and Josh get out on the, on the boat, and they sail out to the middle of the lake. And then Josh realizes he doesn't really know how to sail, and he now needs the wind to change 180 degrees for it to blow him back to the shore, right? How many of you guys recognize that it doesn't always happen that way? So how does a sailor sail in the opposite direction from the wind? Well, a skilled sailor does something called tacking. You've got to kind of cut these Z angles and kind of right against the wind to get back. And so there they are in the middle of the lake, and now Josh has to yell to the shore for my dad to swim out to the boat and sail them back in. Josh never got a second date. <laughs> when you're reading scripture, you're simply putting up the sail so that the wind can blow. If the wind doesn't blow, you ain't going anywhere. You opening up the Bible doesn't mean that something amazing is going to happen unless he blows on it. And so that's why we're depending on him. That's why we're reading it. We're recognizing, God, I need you to blow on this. Boy, I had years of dry Bible study. You know why? Because I wasn't expecting him to do anything. I was going to dig it all out with my intellect and commentaries and word studies. It's just coming like a little child. Uh, God, I need you to teach me. I, 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 don't, I, I can't understand this thing. So uh, let, me, let me give you a couple of things to incorporate into your practice of study. Two more words, and then we're done. Uh, the first word is memorize. Guess what? You already groaned. You don't get another groan. 
I want to talk about this for a moment because the point of scripture memory is not to get everything perfect. It's not about earning brownie points. It's not about impressing other people with how much scripture you've had memorized. It's simply about allowing God's thoughts to get absorbed deeply into my mind. Remember, we're in the uh, thought storage business here. You just need to know throughout history, memorization was a primary way that people uh, encountered scripture because they didn't have a printing press. And so um, in Jesus' day, they had a low literacy rate. So just turn to your neighbor just real quick. What do you think the literacy rate was in Israel during Jesus' day? Just if you had to guess, a percentage. How many, what percentage of people could read? Are you guys ready? Just someone just yell, yell out what you think it might be. Well, you guys are good. 3%. The, uh, according to historians, the best estimates that they've done in the Mediterranean basin in the first century, they put the literacy rate at 5%, and in Israel, they put it at 3%. That's a percentage of people. So how do people get immersed in the text? Well, they, uh, they listen to stories. They would retell those stories. They loved them. They hung in every word. Jesus was a master storyteller. And um, I'm not sure if you've ever told your kids, like, the favorite story, and you leave one detail out, and they're like, hey, you forgot about that part. Why? Because they know those stories. They love those stories. And that's how they were in the Bible. They, they would hear these things read aloud, and they would repeat them. They would talk about them. They didn't have a lot of distractions. They didn't have Netflix and uh, you know, all, binge TV and all sorts of stuff. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to memorize a passage together. Doesn't that sound exciting? So David, you could put that passage up that we're going to read. <laughs> you know what? Let's go to the next one. Let's go to the next one. Let's do that one. And we've memorized this one before. This is just one of my favorites. This one just works well. <laughs> when else can you get to use the genealogies? I know, it's like you don't get to see those very often. All right, say this out loud. Oh, no, 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 no. That's not it. Did I cut and paste that one? No, 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 no. No, 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 that's the next one. So I'm 16. I've set the Lord always before. No, 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 no. Not that one. <laughs> Put it, put it back up there, Psalm 16.8, but I, uh, I must have cut and pasted it from it. I have memorized something different than that, and I don't want to have to memorize something new. I wanted to cheat and let you guys be impressed. Okay. David, I don't know if you can do this. I have set the Lord always before me. Oh, okay. It's a different version. I know. It's messing me up. I wanted you to learn something new. I did not want to learn something new. All right, we're gonna, you can change the version if you want, David. I'm changing it right now. I'm not learning something new in front of you. All right, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. One more time. I've set the Lord always before me. Because he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. All right? Without, without looking at that, because that will mess you up, turn to your neighbor and just real quick, see, just see if you can say it. Just see if you can say it.
All right. Who here did it, but the person next to you wasn't able to? No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. <laughs> Shame culture. Okay. So um, I want you guys to get the picture. You're, you're immersing yourself in You're setting. Guys, I don't. I'm not advocating that you set aside hours every day to read the Bible. But I think uh, there's a principle of immersion. It's a lot easier if you stand under a shower for a little bit to get clean than it is to take a squirt gun every day. Personally, I get more out of the Bible if I'll set aside two or three times a week to just have that unhurried, unfrenzied reading time. But on the, on the alternate times, I'm just telling you how it works for me. On those alternate times, those scriptures that stood out, if I'll memorize them and begin to meditate on them. Okay, so I'm going broad and I'm going deep on a regular basis. Guys, it's not about getting points. It's about finding something that works for you. All right, and so uh, most people... Um, setting aside hours every day to just, and, and what happens is, you know, they got these Bible reading plans, read through the Bible in a year. That's great. But the goal is not to read through the Bible in a year. The goal is to encounter the author, to take the scriptures that he's highlighting and actually allow them to resonate on the inside of them so that you become the kind of person who can do those things. If you read through the Bible in a year, but you never did that, all you did was read through the Bible in a year. That's not the goal. That's why I remember they, like, they had like those sword, you know, those uh, Bible quiz things. The goal is not to be able to spit back answers. I remember I said this at one of the churches where on staff on, you'd have thought I said Hitler is Jesus. Like you would have, like it was like, what are you? I'm like, guys, this is not the point. You're training your kids that the Bible is about information and answers rather than about an encountering relationship with God. And I'm, oh, it was something. I was a lot feistier back then, if you can believe it. Maybe less couth, and so. Uh, all right. So you guys are getting the picture here. You're, uh, you're setting aside some time, one, two, whatever it looks like for you, to just get lost in scriptures. And as you get questions about scripture, as things get highlighted, maybe you take those and you write them down on a note card, you write them in your journal. And then we're going to do the, uh, maybe you'll memorize them. Why would you memorize it? So that you can immerse your mind in scripture any time of the day. Anytime you're going through something difficult, boom, you can just pull up Psalm 23. You can stick your roots in the, in the water of the Holy Spirit and just begin to meditate with him. Remember, when you're reading, when you're meditating, when you're studying, when you're doing a word study, when you're doing all those things, it's like holding a diamond up to the light of Scripture. And when you study, do a word study, all you're doing is holding a different aspect of it before him. If the light doesn't shine out, you've got nothing. If the wind doesn't blow, you've got nothing. Okay. So studying scripture, memorizing scripture. Then the third and final word, you might not like this one a lot, of, meditate. This is when you cross your, no, that's not when you do that. Jim, don't the Buddhists meditate? Yeah, and they, but they eat breakfast too, so I'm not willing to like give up everything that the Buddhists do. Meditation is actually a biblical word. Listen to Psalm chapter 1, verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. I mean, I mean, Jim, like, I can't even do my job if I'm, if I'm just meditating. I kind of look at it like this. If you've ever, just imagine yourself, you're cooking in the kitchen and you're watching children who are in the backyard. Like your thoughts aren't on them every single second, you know, while you're cooking, but you're aware of them. That's what I'm talking about. You're going through your day, but there's this, there's this abiding. There's this sense where I'm, I'm with him. And uh, there, there's times, well, I'm going to talk about it here in just the, the, the final final is... Um, where God's actually highlighting something and you become possessed by the promise. There's those seasons where it's like 
God is so highlighting this one, he wants you to really focus on it. He wants you to, I'll, I'll get that one in just a second. But that's what you do. Um, I, I love this illustration. Um, how many of you know how to worry? Does anyone know how to worry? Then you know how to meditate. What are you doing? You're ruminating on it. You're thinking, oh, man, what if this happens? And then, oh, no, then, oh, then if she said this, and then what if my boss does this? And what are you doing? You're picturing every different scenario on how that one truth could play out. That's meditation. I've set the Lord always before me. And then you start meditating, worrying, thinking about it. What would it be like to set the Lord always before me when I wake up in the morning? What would it be look like to set him before me when I go to sleep at night, when I have a problem, when I get bad news, when something makes me happy, when I'm tempted to sin? What would it look like to set God always before me? What's that? That's meditation. And then you go on, because he's at my right hand. You may even look at your hand as it just, when you, when you notice your right hand, it's like you just begin to remember, he's right here. He's as close as the air that I breathe. Then in the Bible, this was the hand of action. This was the hand of honor. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. You begin to think about, what would it like to never be shaken? Can you imagine never being afraid? Can you imagine just kissing fear goodbye? Never, never having anxiety. And you just begin to live with that. I have set the Lord always before me. And you begin to think, how good would it be if my life were never shaken? And then that, that goes from information and it grows into desire. It's like, man, I'd like to never be shaken. I'd, I'd like to have that kind of life. And that desire begins, you're like, I have to have this. It moves into intention. Like, God, whatever I have to do, that's when you begin to be, get possessed by the promise. God's highlighting something. for All the promises are yours, but there's some times where God's like, this one's yours right now. I want you to focus on this. And you begin desiring. You're like, it moves to intention. God, I have to have this. You're possessed by the promise. And, um, and then you move from intention to worship. Study and immersion in Scripture always leads to worship. That's how you know if you did it right. <laughs> if it leads to you going, oh, God, you're amazing. Well, then you, you studied Scripture. If it leads to, whew, that was a long chapter. You didn't study Scripture. You just got through the chapter. I close with this illustration from a powerful um, theological TV show, The Dukes of Hazard. How many of you guys remember the Dukes of Hazard? Just the good old boys. Never meaning no harm. Beats all you never saw, but in trouble with the law since they were born. Okay, so for every, every uh, Friday night, I, I think I said 9 o'clock, but I believe it's 8 o'clock Eastern Standard Time they were on, CBS, because after that was followed by Dallas. And as soon as that Dallas theme song came on, my sister and I had to go to bed. Followed by Dynasty, which we definitely weren't allowed to watch that. The Dukes of Hazard. Uh, one of the premises is, you know, the, the Duke boys, they were a little wild. They like to drive their cars a little wild. But there was a sheriff in town. What was the sheriff's name? Roscoe P. Cotrain. Not to be confused with the deputy whose name was Enos, or the mechanic whose name was Crazy Cooter. Yeah, that's good. I was going to say Cletus, but I think it was Cooter. You're right. So thank you for that. See, I'm learning today right in front of you. Here's the thing. Uh, so the inevitably, the sheriff or the police force would get in a car chase scene with the Duke boys. And so there'd be just, you know, that was kind of the basis of the whole show, I think. And so when Roscoe was pursuing the Duke boys, he loved it. He had this joy bubbling on the inside of him where he would say things like this. Pew, 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 I love it, I love it. You guys remember that? But then he would make this phrase. He would make this uh, statement. He says... I'm in 
hot pursuit. Not just pursuit. Not ordinary pursuit. This was hot pursuit. Okay? When I'm talking about studying scripture, I'm not saying, hey guys, why don't you try and add these three things on to your already busy life and then God will give you some brownie points. What I'm talking about is it's, you already have a life of hot pursuit. And if you don't have a life of hot pursuit, if you begin to get into scripture and allow the Holy Spirit to encounter you, it, it will put you into hot pursuit. But I want you to say, I'm not talking about, here's three habits of highly effective Christians. Try these out. There's an intentionality. There's a passion. There is desire. And that desire is going to lead you to put up the sail in different ways. And if things are getting a little stale, put up the sail in a different direction. Maybe go hang out with God in nature when it warms up or go down to Florida or do something. And so I want you guys to see, the goal is not that we can quote scripture. So can the devil, and it hasn't been helping him a whole lot. The power of the word is not that you can memorize it and understand it and explain it. The power of the word is only in what you have experienced. The whole point of scripture is to open us up to experiences. Jim, are you talking about subjective experiences? Yes. That's the only kind there is. The whole book of the Bible is a book of encounters. Read it. It's a story of God encountering his people and his people encountering their God. It's a story of individuals and families and cities and villages and nations having encounters and experiences with God. And it tells us everything that's possible in terms of experiencing heaven on earth and walking with God in the best possible way. So guys, the goal is not to study or memorize or meditate, but to actually become the person that the word says you can do. To easily and routinely do those commands of scriptures because you're that kind of person. Because something has so happened on the inside, Christ came inside of you, and now like, he's been implanted inside of you, and now these words from the kingdom come, and they begin to... Picture Christ is like, good soil's in your heart now. Okay? But just because you got saved doesn't mean growth's automatically going to happen. One of the things we have to do is uh, think on purpose. Sometimes for me, when, I, when, I'm, when I'm feeling a scripture highlighted and uh, you know, it's moving from that desire to that intention thing, sometimes I will just prayerfully recount a promise from scripture that the Lord's given me. Sometimes I will sing it back to him. Sometimes I will pray it. I will dwell on it until it becomes a part of me. When scripture grabs your attention, it has to get deep inside. It has to be more than just, oh, that's kind of cool. Next. Busy, busy, busy. I fear that charismatic churches aren't great at this. But guess what? In this next season, we're going to get great at this. We're going to spend time doing this together. Because in the kingdom, if you make the tree right, the fruit will be right. So I'm going to ask you today, Zan, what's your plan? What's your realistic, doable, personalized plan to immerse your mind in Scripture and what's good and pure and noble? That's my challenge to you today. So let's, uh, let's stand and let's recite a verse together. I have set the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Jesus, you are the best. We love you so much. Thank you for what you've done for us, God. We are so thankful. Thank you that you sent the Holy Spirit to personally mentor us into our destiny. Thank you for the written word of God. Oh, we're so thankful.
thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray that we would treasure it. I pray that we would immerse ourselves in it so that we can know you, so that we can become the kind of people the book talks about, not through willpower, but through fruit. And Lord, I bless your people to be the most dangerous people in Columbus, Ohio. They're going to heal the sick. They're going to raise the dead. They're going to give away millions of dollars. They're going to be leaders of men and women and be best friends with Jesus. So I bless them in the name of Jesus. Amen.